This is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. So says 1 John 5 and verse 3, and that's the passage that was just read for us in the Scripture reading. But some commands are hard. Some of God's commands are hard, not that they are hard to understand, but some of God's commands are hard to practice sometimes. Have you ever thought about that? It's not that they're hard to understand, it's that they're hard to practice. Can I give some examples? And then I want to focus on what I believe must be the hardest command in all the New Testament. Listening? Turn to Matthew 5 and verse 44. It's a hard command. We understand it, it's just hard to apply. The words of Jesus, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. That passage can be hard to practice at times. If you would, think of this one with me. Ephesians 4 and verse 26. It's another passage that's easy to to, to understand what Paul is writing here, but it's hard to practice. Ephesians 4.26 says, Be angry and sin not. That's hard to practice, isn't it? In a real way, that can be a hard command. Go down just two or three verses to Ephesians 4, verse 29. Let no corrupt speech proceed out of your mouth, but such as is useful to edification, that it might minister grace to the hearers. Wouldn't it have been a lot better had the chief priests, the scribes and the elders that I just talked about in the Lord's Supper meditation, practiced this? And it was founded on Old Testament teaching. But they get caught up in the cruelty of the moment. Hard passages. Hard passages, not because of what they say, but to apply. And for adults, if you were in the adult classes this morning, how about Ephesians 5.25? Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for it. Wayland, I can understand what Paul's writing there, but practicing it faithfully in a lifetime with the wife that God has given us is a different matter. Some passages are hard. Think of this one. James 1, verses 2 through 4. James 1, 2 through 4. Count it all joy when you encounter trials of every type, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience, and let patience have uh, its perfect work or prove steadfast in your life that you might prove 
that you might be perfect and entire and lacking in nothing. That's a hard passage to apply when we're going through great trials. Look at James 4 and verse 17. To him that knows to do good and does it not, it is what? Sin. We know what that passage is saying. And yet it's a hard passage to consistently apply. Here's the passage that I have chosen, the hardest command. Because, you know, when you think about the commands of Scripture... Some are harder than others. But I am absolutely convinced that compliance with the hardest command has a great impact on heaven. Open your Bibles to Luke 15 and verse 10. In Luke 15 and verse 10, God's Word tells us that compliance with this command has a positive impact on heaven itself. And here it is. There is joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Now here's the hardest command. Turn to Luke 13. Look at verses 3 and 5 from the lips of our Lord Himself. Repent or perish. Unless you repent, you will perish. And when I think about repentance and We often connect it with belief. Well, belief, there's a lot of evidence for believing in Jesus, for believing in Scripture, for responding. But repentance strikes at the core of our ego, of our pride, of our past, of our present. Repentance can be the hardest command. You know what? I found that people who are willing to repent, 90% of the battle is over because they will be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. One of the things I like to ask preacher students at Bear Valley or elsewhere is this. If you could have any miraculous gift or non-miraculous as a preacher, what gift would you desire? I think that that often brings out some stimulating uh, conversation, and it makes people think a little bit. But I'll tell you personally what mine would be. If I could have any gift, if I could have any blessing from God, the blessing I would desire would be to so convict people with God's Word that they would repent. Because then 90% of the battle is over. Because their stubborn will at last will have yielded. 
How about your will? How about mine? Briefly tonight, I would like for us to consider the necessity of repentance, the meaning of repentance, the production of repentance, and the fruit of repentance. Four truths relative to this, the hardest command, the meaning of repentance. When we look at this particular word, repentance has to do with a determination to stop going in the wrong direction and to go in the right direction. Repentance has to do with the determination to stop living a life that dishonors God and to begin living a life that honors God. And has often rightly been said, repentance is a threefold change. A change of mind, a change of heart, a change of life. How we live. That's really what we're looking at in regard to repentance. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21. Notice verses 28 through 32. A certain man had two sons and he told them both to go out and to work in the field. One said, I go but went not. The other said, I will not, but repented and later went. There, my friends, is a really good example of how repentance has to do with the determination to stop going the wrong direction and a determination to go the right, to go the way of the Father in this particular example of Jesus. When you think about this, the meaning of repentance, it involves our thoughts, our thinking, it involves our heart, our passion, and it involves our lifestyle, our practice, our actions. 90% of the battle is over, Adam, and if you can get people to think right and to feel properly about stuff. And then to act in such a manner. So there is the meaning. Secondly, the necessity. The necessity of repentance. Jesus preached a message of repentance, Matthew 4, 17. Peter preached a message of repentance. On, in Acts chapter 2, in verse in chapter 2 and verse 38, to repent. He said that to religious people. In Acts 11 and verse 18, he speaks a message of repentance to the household of Cornelius and says, God has granted to the Gentiles repentance unto life. Alien sinners, people that are lost, need to come to repentance in order to become Christians. It's a requirement. God put that in His Word. These times of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands all men everywhere to repent, Acts 17.30. 
The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 2 Peter 3 and verse 9. That requirement remains true. We can take somebody and dunk them in water 101 times, but if they do not repent, they are not cleansed. That's why repentance is such a hard command, but such an important one. Continue with me, if you will. The requirement of repentance is also true for Christians. Turn to Acts chapter 8 and verse 22. When Simon the sorcerer wanted to buy the miraculous gift of the Holy Spirit, he is told that he needs to repent. To repent of having such a disposition. I really believe that people who are leaders in the body of Christ must sometimes take a position where we say to a brother or sister, you need to repent. We love you and we care about you, but what you're saying and what you're doing is hurting Jesus and the body of Christ. Not out of self-righteousness, but out of great concern for souls and for the honor of God. An entire congregation was told to repent. As a matter of fact, five of the seven were in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. But the church at Ephesus is the one that I'll guarantee you preachers today would be lining up to preach for because they're active, they're busy, they're sound in the faith, and guess what? They're dead as a doornail. You have left your first love. Jesus says to them in Revelation 2, 4, and 5, and he says to repent. That's what the Lord will say. So even entire congregations may need to repent. We've looked at the meaning and the requirement. Let's consider its production. What produces repentance? What should lead to or bring about repentance? Number one. An awareness of the awfulness of sin. An awareness of the awfulness of sin. You know, Steve, some sins are particularly repulsive to me, including some of the ones that I find myself committing. But some of the other sins that I may commit are not nearly as repulsive, but I'll guarantee you this, every sin is repulsive to God. Every sin is offensive to Him. Think about that. Your sin and mine is an affront, is offensive to a holy and pure God. God is of purer eyes than to look upon sin, Habakkuk 1.13, and I certainly want the Lord to look on me and bless me. Don't you? But sin gets in the way of that as much as God cares. The wages of sin is death. The free gift of God is eternal life through Christ our Lord, Romans 6.23. Secondly, if we would produce true repentance in our lives, what else follows? An awareness not just of the awfulness of sin but of the work of Jesus. An awareness of the work of Jesus. 
Why did our Savior come to earth? Because He loved us so. And think about what we sang with Alex tonight just before the Lord's Supper was observed. Think about this morning. I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. The amazing work of Jesus in dying for sinners, for the lost. Romans 5, verses 6 through 11. Third, what produces repentance? A greater understanding of the goodness of God. What will produce repentance? A greater understanding and appreciation of the goodness of God. It is the goodness, the forbearance, and the long-suffering of God that leads us to repentance. Romans 2 and verse 4. Behold the goodness and severity of God. Romans 11 and verse 22. Get this. It's so important. If a person is really going to repent, then they have to know what's going to produce the repentance that impacts heaven and brings about a right relationship with God in Jesus. Again, if we are going to be people who truly repent, what produces repentance? Certainty of judgment. Steve, one of these days you're going to stand before a judge, and so am I, the judge, the Lord. Are we ready? And we're going to give an account of the things that we have done. Imagine being the chief priest and the scribes and the elders that we spoke about earlier in the meditation, giving an account to Jesus on that day. Imagine some of the things for which you are not proud of that you might give an account of. Think about this. Brother Bill, we can rejoice that because of Jesus, things can be taken care of by his blood and our repentance. And things that we might have gloried in and reveled in and things that were so sinful. Now they have been purged and we've been made clean by Jesus. but an awareness that judgment is certain. Finally, number four. Having looked at the meaning, the requirement, the necessity, having looked a little bit at what produces repentance, let's consider lastly the fruit of repentance. It was said in Matthew 3 and verse 8 to produce fruit worthy of repentance. And I love the way the old King James puts this in Acts 26 and verse 20. Works meet with repentance, of repentance, in keeping with repentance. So when we think about this area, two words are very biblical by way of concepts. The first word is the word restitution. Restitution, and by that I mean when we truly repent, 
We want to treat others right, and if we have taken from others, we want to restore, make restitution for the things that we've done. An example of that would be Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Zacchaeus says, as a tax collector, if I have exacted wrongfully from any individual, I want to respond and make restitution fourfold. I think more teaching and preaching has got to be done on this aspect of repentance. It's not enough just to be sorry. We want to have a godly sorrow that leads to true repentance. 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 10. And that is displayed in the desire to make restitution. Well, you know, sometimes there's no way we could ever make restitution for what we did. I understand that. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16, a jailer would be converted to Jesus along with his household. Paul had been beaten and placed in stocks. We don't know whether or not the jailer had anything to do with that particular aspect of things, but here's something we do know. The jailer washed Paul and Silas's wounds. Not only was there a willingness to repent, it showed itself in restitution. Restitution, second word. Reformation. A change of life, a change of heart, a change of mind. Reformation. Paul, who at one time persecuted the church as a Christian, one who had repented and come to the Lord, found himself persecuted. Galatians 1.23 It's an important matter to consider because repentance leads us to say, I am not that person anymore. I was. I can't deny it. But no longer. Oh, friends, if you could have any gift as a Christian, miraculous or non-miraculous, what gift would you want? For myself, I would want to be able to help people see and desire to truly repent. I can't think of anything that would bless my family more. I can't think of anything that would bless others more. I can't think of anything that would help me draw closer to God than to respect what Scripture says about repentance. And knowing Jesus as Lord and Savior. Thank you for listening. If you're willing to repent, 90% of the battle is over. I can't imagine how anybody has a problem with faith if they're willing to repent. I cannot imagine how anybody has any problem with baptism who's willing to repent. 
How can anybody have a problem with confession of Jesus as, as God's son if they're willing to repent? The problem with people is a misunderstanding and a refusal to repent. I don't think you can misunderstand what I've said tonight. I pray that no one who needs to repent will refuse it. Let us stand and sing.